Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. transition and invite our speaker this morning. Adam, you can come up here. Um, Adam is one of our really close friends. He's the CEO of City Care, which runs the night shelter. And so as I've said, we've, we've been asking people to come and share uh, who maybe aren't the, maybe the normal preachers here. And so this week, we're going to talk about what does Proverbs have to say about justice? Um, and when you read the Proverbs, you read about the scales, and you read about your neighbor, and you read about the poor and the widow and the orphan. And so we've asked Adam to come and share his personal journey with this subject and uh, what God's put on, our, on his heart. So thank you, Adam. I'm going to pray for you yeah. real quick. So Father, we just love you, and we love Adam. We love the Luck family. Thank you so much. Uh, for gifting them to us. And I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, you would speak through him, that you would take the learnings and uh, just all the stuff you've done in Adam's heart, and you would speak it directly to our hearts so that we could reflect your image more clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I would love to just start out and thank Jonathan and the church for the opportunity to come speak this morning. This is a topic, uh, like he said, I've spent much of my personal and professional life just kind of leaning into over the last uh, several years. Um, but let's be honest, I'm super nervous. This is crazy. I was talking to Jonathan earlier. I'm like, how do you do this every week? Like, I can't eat. I can't sleep. It's been like two weeks and you just, you make it look so easy. You just come up here like it's like no big deal. I'm like, how are you having coffee during the week? I would be like, this is all I could do this week was like, think about this. So anyway. You make it look easy. Uh, it is the last week in March that we're doing, you know, having different people come speak. I thought maybe this would be the week where we have, like, you show up to church and it's like the night where you watch the video. I don't know if you all are from a church tradition that did that. <laughs> Jonathan said no, no video. If it goes off the rails, though, I got a backup one. We'll just, like, <laughs> switch over to it. I remember one time we showed up to church and we were watching Riot. Anybody remember that? Righteous Invasion of Truth, Carmen video, anybody? Do <laughs> you remember that, Trent? That was a great night. <sighs> okay, so no movies, but uh, we'll, we'll try to keep it interesting. Okay, so like Jonathan said, uh, we spent this month going through different topics in Proverbs. Annie spoke to us about gentle words. Hayden spoke with us about friendship and reconciliation. Lance talked with us about marriage, uh, also gave us a master class on mixtapes. Uh, no music today, sorry. Chase taught on anger. So, I mean, just take a step back. Like, where are we this morning? We've got a few minutes to talk through a topic that I know many of us bring so many different opinions about. My hope is to just cover a couple basic ideas about biblical justice, walk through what Proverbs has to say, 
and share some of what this has meant for me and for Sarah in our life. So this will be just one of many entry points, I believe, into the conversation uh, about God's justice. I would love to freely offer my time, a list of scripture, books, experiences that have helped shape my understanding of justice, if you'd like to continue exploring this topic beyond this morning. Okay, so it bothers me when people spend more time giving caveats about what they're going to say than actually saying it, so I promise this will be my last one. So um, I just, I just want to take a second and acknowledge that some of us, I mean, we're all in different places. Like some of us, we may not think much about this at all. On the other end of the spectrum, some of you, God's justice and the injustice we experience in the world may seem overwhelming. Uh, my guess is most of us are just somewhere in the middle. So my hope is that after the next few minutes, we'll no matter where we're at, at least have an idea of what a next step is for us. Okay, so enough caveats. Let's get into it. So what is justice? It's defined as the maintenance or administration of what is just, especially by the impartial adjustment of conflicting claims or the assignment of merited rewards or punishments. So this is the part of conversation where Sarah starts elbowing me and bringing me back to reality that not everybody's as interested in these things as I am. So um, we're gonna, so this morning we're gonna use the buddy system. So if you see the eyes of the person next to you start to glaze over, I want you to gently nudge them, invite them back into consciousness. I'll check it, we'll check in on each other throughout the time, okay? So it's also defined as the quality of being just, impartial, or fair. Also the principle of just dealing or right action. Also the conformity to this principle or ideal, righteousness. So uh, it's not too late to do a video, Jonathan. I mean, we can do it if... So you can see, I mean, it's, it's difficult for us to even talk about justice. Like how many of those words would we first have to agree on a definition of before we could even begin to parse out if we agree on the definition of the word we were trying to talk about in the first place? And I believe this is where Christians begin to go off course. We seek a definition of God's justice that fits beliefs we already hold instead of pursuing an understanding of God's justice and allowing that to transform the beliefs we hold. Because of this, many Christians have agreed to align ourselves with one of three views of a just society, which Michael Sandel describes in his book, Justice. Uh, and as a side note, the Bible Project, uh, if you have never checked them out, I would encourage you to. They have a wonderful teaching series on justice that uh, was really formative for me in, in preparing for this week. Um, I've drawn from their conversations and teachings for this part of defining biblical justice, and it's a great resource. Tim Keller also has a great book called Generous Justice that goes much deeper on this topic of defining biblical justice. So, all right, buddy, check. How's your neighbor doing? You doing all right? A couple more definitions, and then we'll, we'll keep moving. So, Sandel says the first group defines a just society as one that maximizes welfare. This society reduces harm and increases flourishing for the greatest number of people. Basically, try to help the most number of people while harming the least number of people. This view of justice is often associated with liberalism. The next group says justice is what creates the greatest amount of respect for the rights and freedoms of each individual to live how they want to live. We call this libertarianism. The third group says justice is what is going to shape society so that people act as they ought to in accordance with moral virtue. We call this conservatism. So when we agree first to one of these views of justice, we bring this view to scripture and simply find supporting evidence for the choice that we've already made. We are right and everyone else is wrong. And I just don't think God joins in this dispute. 
This is where we must humble ourselves, ask for understanding, then take what we see God say in his word back to our beliefs and go from there. So what does the Bible actually say about justice? The Hebrew word for justice is mishpat. We see two themes of justice in the Bible, retributive justice and restorative justice. These are the last two definitions, I promise. So retributive justice, think of retribution. It punishes wrongdoers, wrongdoers by standards of justice that we create. So this is our courtroom. This is where we go when we've been wronged. It is transactional in nature. If somebody does something wrong, they get punished. It focuses on what others have done to us. Restorative justice seeks to create a code by which we choose to live that will embody our vision of justice. It focuses on our role in the community and how we contribute to a just society. It is transformational in nature. Of the 400 plus times that we see mishpat used in the Bible, the vast majority refer to restorative justice and God's heart for it. It focuses on creating a society where the most vulnerable and the most disadvantaged are supported and cared for. When God speaks of justice, most often this is where his concern is. It is here we begin to turn away from asking what should happen to this person because they did something wrong to what is my role in bringing God's justice to the vulnerable and disadvantaged. If this is God's primary concern in scripture as it relates to justice, I believe that it should be ours as well. So I didn't know Trent was going to sing that song, but it worked out perfectly. This is uh, a main scripture that we reference when we talk about God's heart for justice. Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God? So if this is our command, what does it mean to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly? Mercy in this context is looking on others in difficult situations unlike our own and acting in their favor or doing good for them. Humility, we know, is treating other people as more important than ourselves. Uh, all throughout scripture, we see justice referred to alongside mercy and humility. Again, this could apply to our courtroom concept of justice, but what we know is that Mishpat here is referring to our role in bringing about God's justice on earth. <laughs> So this is where we're starting to finally land on a definition of biblical justice. To do justice is to look on others in difficult situations and thinking of them as more important than ourselves, we seek to do good on their behalf by taking on their problems as our own. So put more simply, making other people's problems our problems is biblical justice. So through this lens, we can then ask, what do, what do the Old Testament prophets have to say about a truly just society? What did they talk about? Who did they talk about? They talked about the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, the poor. To the prophets, a just community was one in which these four groups did not have to worry about their safety or who was going to take advantage of them. So making other people's problems our problems means that we make sure every person in our community is treated fairly and given an opportunity to flourish. So having listened and seen what the Bible defines as justice, where God places his emphasis on justice, can we take this back to our beliefs and ask, how does this square with what we said we believed about justice? And what's interesting is what we find is that if this biblical vision of justice were pursued, all three worldly visions of justice would be achieved. And likewise, if this biblical vision of justice did not happen, none of the three would either. 
So if we don't follow biblical justice, the maximum number of people are not experiencing an opportunity to flourish, which is the maximizing welfare definition of justice. Their mishpat, or right to live in a community and exist with freedom is violated, which was the liberty definition of justice. And if we are a society that says the only problems worth addressing are our own problems, then are we truly a virtuous society, which is the promoting virtue definition of justice. So I think this is a critical question that we have to ask. If we honor the Bible as God's word and the source of divine wisdom, we must reckon with the extraordinary emphasis that we see God place on the poor and the vulnerable. Their problems must become the problems of those with resources, influence, and voice. This is the definition of a just community. So if we claim ourselves Christians, and in turn, base our view of the world on the Bible, our vision of a just society must be informed by this. All right, last point before we move on to Proverbs. So I think we can conclude this exploration of defining justice by acknowledging Jesus as the manifestation of both of these themes of justice. The cross is where both of God's themes of justice meet retributive and restorative. The most advantaged being in the universe became among the most disadvantaged to accomplish retribution. He took the punishment for our wrongs. The judge became judged and took on the ultimate consequence of injustice. He made right our wrong and showed us what he believed about justice by making our problem his problem. Okay, finally made it to Proverbs. Do you forget that's where we were going? <laughs> we're there. All right, so in his essay on Proverbs, Bruce Walkie describes the righteous and wicked this way. He says, the righteous are those willing to disadvantage themselves to the advantage of their community. The wicked are those willing to disadvantage their community to the advantage of themselves. So what we see in Proverbs are many descriptions of what the righteous and wicked do, and we also see what God says happens to the righteous and the wicked as a result of those actions. So knowing the connection between righteousness and justice, we can now read these scriptures through this lens. All right, so we'll start with Proverbs 10:15, And this isn't an exhaustive list of every time justice is mentioned in Proverbs, but for time's sake, these are the ones that decided to go with. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. So again, now looking through this, this definition of biblical justice, it's interesting to me that it doesn't say the choices of the poor are their ruin. It doesn't say anything about that. It says the poverty of the poor is their ruin. This brings us in alignment with our focus on bringing justice instead of what others deserve. And I think that's a theme that we'll start to see is that it's not about other people. The question is what is our role in joining God in his renewal of all things and bringing justice to earth? Proverbs 13, 23. The fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. So if you're like me, you're like, what does fallow mean? I have no idea. It means plowed and prepared, but left unsown for a period in order to restore its fertility. So consider the implications of this. They would have what they need were it not for injustice. So again, how we've defined justice makes us ask another question. How are we implicated in this? It is through our inaction.
the fallow ground of the poor is swept away. Proverbs 14.31, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Proverbs 16.8, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. With our definition of justice, how would we interpret this text? That justice, making their problem our problem, is worth any amount of sacrifice. Proverbs 19.17, we always ask ourselves, should we give somebody money when we see somebody on the side of the road? You know, I, I don't know that that's ever the great place to start, but for a lot of us it is. So here's what God says. Whoever's generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. So I know we can come up with a lot of reasons not to, but I feel like being repaid by God should probably answer a lot of those questions. Proverbs 21.3, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Proverbs 28.5, evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. The world tells us a lot about what we should view justice as. The world tells us how we should treat other people who disagree with us about our definition of justice. But I believe if we truly want to understand justice, our primary concern should be with ourselves and seeking the Lord. This requires trust that we will know whatever action should follow will come. It will follow that understanding. Proverbs 29.7, a righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. I promise I didn't make that one up. It's actually in there. So the question for us is, do we know the rights of the poor? If you come from a position in society like me, you may not know as much because you've never been in a position to need to defend most of your rights. Understanding such knowledge can become a pursuit. And God says that that is what the righteous do. All right, last one. Proverbs 31, eight through nine. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. So what does destitute mean? Destitute means lacking the basic necessities of life. So what do you call necessary in your life? What do we say is necessary to live? Do we defend the rights of those who are without those things? Do we know their rights well enough to defend them or speak up about them? All right, so we're going to bring it in here. We'll finish up with a story. I wanted to end with a story because I know this can kind of all be a little bit theoretical. It's kind of a little bit heady, but, and I I also want to end with some ways to move forward for us this morning. So I wanted to share with you a story about our neighbor. His name's Abe. Okay, so I met Abe in November of 2017. He was our neighbor. Uh, we, at that point, uh, had shared meals together. We sat around the fire in our backyard together. He's been uh, to this church with us. He watched our dog, Chief, when we were out of town. He stayed in our home. And for the first two years that I knew Abe, he lived in the back of his car, parked in the alley behind our house, um, sharing his story with permission, and this is just a part of it. So Abe had been in the United States for over 30 years. Most of that time, he lived in Dallas. He was originally from Jordan and came here with family. He talked often about his son, uh, but he didn't live in Oklahoma City anymore, so he didn't really have any family. After moving to Oklahoma City, he drove a cab for many years. 
He moved into an apartment two doors down from us where he lived with his roommate, Manny. So Abe's visa expired in 2017. When he talked about it, about it he felt a sense of shame for letting it expire. He knew what he needed to do, but he just uh, never got it done. And uh, when his visa expired, his driver's license was no longer valid, and without his driver's license, he couldn't legally drive his cab. And before he knew it, he was out of a job, and he couldn't pay his rent. So he parked his taxi in the back alley under a tree, and there it sat for 14 months. Two Oklahoma winters, one Oklahoma summer, he heated his cab with an extension cord and a hairdryer, and he cooled it by whatever breeze could make it through the windows. And Abe did not call himself homeless. I was always impressed with his resourcefulness and insistence that he was fine. He kept saying, like, I'm okay. Um, it was, it was, at points, it was difficult to, you know, be in community with him and be in friendship with him because you see such great need, and he, he oftentimes would just refuse it. He was just like, no, I know, I'm, I'm okay. And we're like, you're definitely not okay. You're living in the back of the cab. Um, and certainly by no means did we set out to like rescue or save Abe. I just mentioned, you know, I think this is what you do for friends. This is what community does for each other. He wanted something different, and we set out to do what we would do for anyone in our community, uh, which is just be their friend and help them. And so without using these words, I believe at that time we took on Abe's problems as our own problems. So uh, we started with his visa. The application was around $500. He'd already made contact with a legal aid lawyer. He'd gotten all the paperwork together and just needed the money. So all this preparation and guidance didn't cost Abe anything. So after we had supported Abe in other ways financially, we decided to bring this um, to our church where we have seen time and time again this body, this local expression of the body of Christ demonstrate their desire to live out the description that there was no needy among them. So if you don't know, any cash that comes into Skyline on a Sunday goes to a fund called Change for a Dollar. And we've seen this become margin for more people than we can remember at this point. This church wrote a check and Legal Aid submitted his visa application. A week later, I drove him to his biometric appointment after his application had been reviewed. Uh, so I'm driving with Abe and uh, I just remember sitting shocked, just listening to Abe. He was telling me what to do with his cab, what to do with his belongings if he was going to be deported. And it took him walking through these instructions. You could tell he had really thought about it. And he had written some things down, and he was very purposeful about what he was telling me. It took all that for me to notice how nervous he was that he, he might actually come back. Uh, so I tried my best to reassure him as I, as I choked back a deep sadness and frustration that somehow I had become the only person in Abe's life that he could give these instructions to. He made it back from his appointment just, just fine. The next week, we were both shocked to see his green card come in the mail. He'd been using our mailing address for his mail, which is another difficulty when you don't have a home. A process we thought would take six months took only two weeks, and we celebrated together. The next week, our church paid for his driver's license reinstatement fees, which was hundreds of dollars. The church paid for his car insurance, paid to get his tag re-registered. Check after check, being margin where Abe still had none. The next day I came home and Abe's car was not in the alley. This was the first time in over a year that it wasn't there. It took me a moment to get past the fear and realize that Abe was probably just out driving. Uh, the next day when I got home, I caught him as he was about to leave. Uh, he was wearing a Papa John's uniform and headed into his first day of work, the second day that he was able to drive his car, and we celebrated together again. This is a picture of Abe shared with his permission. A few weeks later, yeah. You might still see him around. There is one yellow taxi cab with a Papa John's 
thing on top in Oklahoma City, and it's Abe. He is still out there. He's still going. Same job. Uh, and that was five years ago. A few weeks later, I met Abe at the apartment complex he found and handed him one more check. So at the time, it was hard for Abe to save up enough money delivering pizza at night to make a deposit in the first month's rent. So again, the church stepped in and did what people do for someone they care about. We helped them make ends meet. As he filled out the application, Abe was asked for his birthday. To my surprise, he listed 1 slash 30. After a double take, I realized that it was his birthday. He laughed and he said he forgot. Somehow, just saying happy birthday in that moment felt so inadequate and also so appropriate all in the same breath. I had no gift and yet I was there. With him moving into an apartment, I didn't know it was his birthday yet I was there to remind us both that it was. I was there to say the words he probably wouldn't hear from anyone else that day and it seemed just like showing up being there was a gift in itself. Okay, so the band can come back up. So I share this story just to, because Jonathan, I mean, he asked me to share a story. I don't, I don't think we did anything that any one of us wouldn't do for somebody that we knew and loved. And I know many of you in this room have similar stories. All it took for Abe was someone taking on his problem as their own. And who else but a Christian would do that? Do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly. Open your mouth for the destitute, defend the rights. This is justice. This is God's justice. So where do we go from here? I'd ask another question, where are you? Where are you in this journey? God said that he would love the world. He told us to love our neighbor. So wherever you're at, I think the first place I would point you to is Jesus. Bring whatever it is to him. God promises that if we seek him, that we will understand justice completely. After that, I would point you to people in this church. I wouldn't be sitting up here this morning talking to you about this if it weren't for people in this church that I've been discipled by over the last seven years. There was a point in my life that despite some of these things being a personal part of my family's history, it wasn't something that I was interested in. It wasn't something that I necessarily felt led to work in. Um, But, you know, Sarah and I being a part of this community and submitting ourselves to discipleship individually, and then as a couple and as a family, we've through relationship had these themes called out in us and I think that's the only way for these things to be fleshed out it's the only way for this exploration to happen because you can't do it on your own you have to have a guide you have to have somebody who knows you and loves you has taken some of these steps before that can walk alongside you if this is something you want to learn more about I'd encourage you to spend time with Sean and Patricia spend time with Tyler and Kristen if you struggle with anger over injustice spend time with Perry Lott If the gravity of what happens in the world overwhelms you, talk to Billy and Kelly Patterson. There are many here who can act as a guide, but I do believe that Jesus should be our first stop on that journey. I'll finish with a prayer. Would you join me? Holy Father, you long for a justice that we can never fathom. You know how this was supposed to be be so gracious to meet us where we are, in our confusion, in our grief, in our ignorance, in our pride, would you help us? Would you 
open our eyes to our brothers and sisters around us, to those who bear your image and are close to your heart. We are undeserving of your grace, but Lord, we are so grateful for it. Thank you for all that you are doing in this church and in our city. Thank you for your invitation to join you in your renewal of all things. And lastly, Father, we are grateful that your burden is light. We know this work will not end until heaven comes to earth. And we are grateful that this work belongs to you and by your grace, we pray to find our place in it. Amen.